This is episode number nine with Corey Salker. Welcome to American Snippets, your source for inspirational, motivational, and selfless stories and interviews from exceptional people across the nation. And now, here's your hosts, Barb Allen and Dave Brown. She's been featured on Today and in People Magazine, and she's a Wisconsin mom of eight who opens up her home and her heart to terminally ill babies. Corey Salker and her husband, Mark, call the home they share together a house of hope. They started adopting life-limiting or terminally ill babies in 2012 and believe no baby should have to die alone. This is a story of one mom's extraordinary love and how it's transforming the short lives of hospice babies. Now here's Barb Allen with Corey Salker. Hi, this is Barb Allen with American Snippets. As you know, we find people across this country who have an incredible story and often are the incredible story. We have been lucky to interview all sorts of people who have moved us on different levels. And this is a person I came across recently and I just... You'll hear her story in a minute, but her it really just reached me so deeply. And I, I took a chance and reached out and I said, she's never going to have a moment to get back to me. I'll never hear from her. But she did. I'm so honored she is here today. Corey Salkert, I said that right? Okay, good. Uh, is here with us from Wisconsin. She's um, interviewing us out of her home because her home is where she does her most amazing work. So hello, Corey. Thank you for joining us today. You bet. Thanks for asking me. Um, why don't you tell us, we're going to start a little bit. We'll ease into this. Tell us quickly, because just just the, what I'll say, quote, normal stuff, you know, is amazing. Do, do you have eight children? Yes. <laughs> so I am a mother of four. Huh? <laughs> and counting, I guess. Yeah, and counting, right. I mean, eight children, biological children, or yeah. yeah. Um, and I I have four, and I don't even know how you do that. Like, you could do that and give yourself a pat on the back and just call yourself Queen of America, and I don't think anybody would disagree. But you went above and beyond that. First in your personal work, tell us about what you had a job, or uh, you were a perinatal nurse. Right. Yes. Um, I am a registered nurse and uh, have been for almost 29 years. Um, graduated in May of 1988. Anyway, we have eight biological children and a couple of them are married and another one's almost married. And so we're expanding our family that way. Um, eight biological children, like I said, and I worked as a nurse for like the first five years of our marriage. And then I took about 10 years off to have my kids and raise them. And then went back to work in, I think, 2003. And I had worked in hospice and I went back to work in OB thinking, you know what, I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum and it'll just be sweetness and light. Because for the most part, that had been my story. I knew some women who had had miscarriages or stillbirth, but um, it just wasn't, I, um, my world hadn't included that very much. I didn't get to work on the maternity floor for very long before I found that it happened a whole lot more often than I had anticipated that women would come in and not find a heartbeat or that they would have the baby and the baby would die um, shortly after, after birth. And so that hospice background that I had that makes someone run towards the danger in that kind of situation um, stood me in good stead, given that I definitely had patients that 
they needed that kind of care and concern. A family member had died, and I will fight with anybody who says hospice doesn't apply to babies or to you know children in the womb. I'm sorry, a family member has died. Someone has been lost, not lost. These babies are not lost. That term I don't like at all. Um, this family needs care. Uh, uh, for their grief and that it's not just, oh, go home and have another one. Like, you know, children are just replaceable, like you lose your shoe. Um, So there was a care and a concern that I could bring to those situations. And I could not change that that baby had died or that that baby was going to die. What I tried to do was just make it a little less tragic and that possibly there could be some good memories in there so that when things were sifted through afterwards that they had photos and that they'd had a chance to hold their baby and that footprints were made and that that baby had been dressed and blanketed and given some dignity and some holdability. Um, so took my work very seriously with that and, uh, got dreadfully sick, started in 2008, totally crashed in 2011, nearly died with, I have a number of autoimmune diseases. They all just went absolutely crazy and, uh, was, incredibly sick. And uh, just the recovery from that um, threw me into, uh, okay, now what? Because I've had surgeries that have gimped my intestinal tract, whatever, so that I'm not able to go back to work. And, you know, I've got all this expertise. I've got all of this compassion. Um, You know, what are you going to do with that now? And I just, my prayer was, God, you're going to have to take this mess and redeem it because I don't see any good coming out of this at all. And that was when the door opened to doing medical treatment, foster care here at home. Wow. So, I mean, I know people who have gone through just a a slight bit of something and just haven't been able to get back up. I went through something which I thought, you know, to me was absolutely awful losing my husband. um, And I almost didn't get back up from that. I have great respect for what you went through and how you not only pulled yourself back up, but pulled other people with you. It's just, I am so in awe of this, but so let's tell everybody, um, what, what you decided to do from there. You became a foster parent to a very special baby at that point. Well, I just want you to know right off the bat here that it isn't really a matter of my, um, pulling myself up by my bootstraps and, you know, and I'm just going to make the best of a bad situation. I just laid there and, you know, for the longest time while I was sick, I, uh, I, it was just like, you know what, kill me already. I just, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be sick and I don't want to be gimped. And I just, you know, I'm done. So I had, I had quit. And my husband said, well, before, you know, we, we have a funeral, you are going to try one more time. And uh, I went to Santa Fe Medical Institute in Mexico, and they were the ones that kind of discovered, okay, you know what, you've got celiacs, and pretty much everything I was eating because of the leaky gut was causing inflammation. So they just went to great lengths to um, help me there and got me back on my feet, but not completely. So then I'm sitting here with this body that these surgeries have irreparably damaged, and uh I have a, a song by Sela, S-E-L-A-H, um, which is a contemporary Christian band. And they just said, it may be unfulfilled, it may be unrestored, but anything that's shattered, that's laid before the Lord, just watch and see, it will not be unredeemed. And I said, all right, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm taking you to the bank on this one. 
because this is a mess and I don't know what it is that you could possibly do with this that could redeem any of it because my job was lost and my health had been lost and my family was just like in survival mode. Um, so we went through the summer of 2012 and I had wanted several years before then to do um, bring a baby home should that family find out that there was a fatal fetal anomaly and they didn't know that they could carry that child, you know, Pat, if that child lived after birth um, until that child passed away, if that was just more than what they could handle, it's like, oh, Mark, wouldn't this be great? You know, we could do this. And he just looked at me and said, uh, we're both working full time. We homeschool. We have eight children. I don't think so. Yeah. No, you know, we're just not going to bring that kind of tra- a heartache home. We're just not. Okay, so then you fast forward three years, and we have been through, quote unquote, worst case scenario, and all of a sudden it's like, you know what, death was not the worst thing. So when we got a call in August that there was a baby without the right or left hemisphere of her brain, just the brain stem, she did have a skull, so she was not an encephalic, um, that mom had, dad was not in the picture, that mom just could not do it, and had said, I can't and left her at the hospital and they called and they said, all right, you know, we knew that this was something that was on your heart before. What do you think about bringing her home? And I said, yes, right away. And then I wasn't quite sure what my husband was going to say simply because he had been so hesitant three years before. And when I told him that there was this child that we could bring her home and care for her and that she would be a part of our family until she passed away, he said, let's do it. Let's go for it. You know, what's her name? And I said, well, she doesn't have a name. And he said, well, we're going to change that. This baby is not going to be carried out the back door in a bag and buried and no one will be crying. So we carried her out the front door. She was chosen and she was cherished and she has a name and she was known and she's missed and she is still loved. And I would drove by in the cemetery today and it's like, you know what? Your body may be in that grave. Girlfriend, you are running and dancing and flying free at this point in time, able to do what it is that her little body, as broken as it was, was never able to do this side of heaven. So there is her tears have been wiped away. Ours are not yet. But the worst case scenario that then was not that she was going to die, but that she would die tucked away in a corner in that NICU where she you know, she wasn't really even held to be fed. She had a pump that was doing that for her. And uh, I don't know if you remember the Sesame Street song that says one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. When we walked in there, there's all this flurry of activity with all the other kiddos and they're all hooked up. She was wrapped in a blanket in a wood crib off to the side. Okay, Chica, this is not where you belong. We're taking you home. And uh, she lived for 50 amazing days and went to the beach and the bank and the bookmobile and a Winona Judd concert, have baby, have oxygen tank, will travel. And uh, she lived quite large in the time that she had here. And she died right here in my arms with my heartbeat. And then she drew her last breath and woke up in heaven and there was no pain and there was no struggling and she was not alone. That That is... Um... It is amazing and that you you choose to focus on life instead of death and you are you take it 
to a literal sense when you say every day matters. You know, you don't just put that on a bumper sticker and drive around in a minivan and say every day matters. You know, you you live it and you make sure that every day every single day does matter for people and they're people, you know, they're babies, but they're people um, who don't have many days. And you, you're a good reminder that every life, every life deserves a life. Um, What tell, tell us about who is in your family now. Um, Okay. So we started with medical treatment, foster care, that licensing process. When Emmalyn came along, Emmalyn is her, uh, was is her name, and uh, started with medical treatment foster care. We had another foster child in between who was um, had some medical issues, and we resolved those very quickly and took care of him for about eight months, and then his adoptive family has him, and he is just thriving and doing wonderfully. Uh, we, I took him to his adoptive family. Um, my birthday just seems to be the time. And maybe it's just, you know, I think it's a gift from God because it helps me to remember Emmeline died on the 27th. We were planning her funeral on September 28th, um, my birthday. And uh, so then I'm not scrambling around going, okay, what day did she die? Because those things are important to me to remember those dates and not be at a loss. Um, so then we had Jay Babes, the next one, and um, he uh, ended up, being with us and then on my birthday weekend in 2014 I went to and gave him to his family and uh, Hmm. Gideon definitely a a huge loss but my prayer in doing that was that he would see me smiling when I left that it wasn't I mean my face was all a mess and you know everything was all upset and you know God just totally answered prayers that way and actually not just for him to see me smiling but I saw him and he looked at me and, you know, the transition was made and I kind of shifted into aunt status and his mom took over and he was good with her. And his last thing with me was, was, was smiling. It's like, I know you, you know, and I love you and, and whatever. And we left him at 10 months old um, with his family. We only had about three weeks. And my husband said, you need to get back in the saddle. And I said, no. I said, you know what? I just, I need some time to regroup here. I mean, my heart's aching and I miss this kiddo. And he said, yeah, but this is what you do. So, you know, wow. let's do it. And I mean, for my husband to say that and not say, you know what? We're never doing this again. I don't want you crying. I don't want this heart kind of heartache. The man really is amazing in the fact that he realizes that tears are not worst case scenario. My being upset is not worst case scenario. My grieving is not worst case scenario. So, you know, you know, we're going to, the broken heart is worth it. And, uh, so I called her, I asked the kids, I said, you know what, we don't have to do this again. I know that, you know, we're all missing J babies and whatever. And my daughter, Mary Elizabeth said, uh, mom, what if like there's some kid that needs us and you're sitting over here with a broken heart? Uh, <laughs> okay, well, fine. So I called the social worker and she called me back a week later and said, all right, we have a little guy in the hospital right now. He's, he's four months old and uh, he has a trait. And uh, what do you think? And I said, well, okay, that's fine. You know, we can do that. And we had, we had talked about it and I walked in with a couple of my daughters and met Charlie for the first time in October of 2014. And he was arched in his crib and his eyes were rolled back in his head. 
It was not, oh my goodness, this kiddo is so cute. I'm just absolutely in love. It was a very sobering realization. And I said, he is significantly brain damaged. And the nurse said, yes, he is. And I said, all right, I want to hold him. And I put him in my arms. And my little sister had had spinal meningitis when she was four months old and came home with severe brain damage and seizuring. And I'm holding this little guy in my arms and I'm thinking, you know what? It's Amy all over again. Different diagnosis, different reason, you know, whatever. But that posturing, everything was the same. But I was a child when we had Amy and Amy drowned when she was 11 and I was not there and I was not able to help. I was not, I was, I was a child. I couldn't do anything about that. And I looked at Charlie and I thought, you're big now. You had some capability of speaking life into this situation. It does not have to be something where you feel helpless. And um, so we, it wasn't a deal breaker. You know, we signed up to take on Charlie. And then <laughs> it wasn't just that he was significantly brain damaged, but that we ended up finding out later that, um, you know, he indeed was terminal. And uh, so went through all the grieving of, wow, you know, he's terminal. But that little booger, um, he ended up getting adopted December of 2015. Wow. He didn't think he was going to live long enough to do that. And he's still kicking now. You know, he's two years and nine months old, and he wasn't supposed to live past his second birthday, and wow. he didn't get the memo. So <laughs> he's still okay. But the, the thing is, is like yesterday afternoon, he does this, and we do this lather, rinse, repeat cycle in the fact that his airway or something um there is no diagnosis and there's nothing we can fix but he just goes down and he's on a ventilator and that was all instituted before we had any say so and i'm not going to take that off and then watch him struggle and die um i'm not trying to prolong his life and i am not going to hasten his death i just get up each day right. and i take care of this buddy and make sure his skin is in good shape and that he's held and that he's loved and that he hears all the time, Charlie, man, you know what? We love you. You are amazing. We're so glad you're here. And everybody walks by and smooches him on his cheeks or, you know, gets up and dances with him. And we disconnect his equipment because he can be off long enough to be able to be held and danced around good. or watch him movie or that kind of thing. But he had a very difficult afternoon yesterday and was seizing and uh, turning blue and, and I, I look at him and I think, okay, you know what? Are we, are we done? Are we done, buddy? Are we done? And uh, I just don't know from day to day whether or not we're going to be done or mm -hmm. whether or not this is just going to be a glitch and then we're going to go on again. And uh, yesterday was not the end. Um, kind of gave me a run for my money all afternoon and then settled down and just went back to his normal. He's very medically fragile and yet he's, He's a tough, tough cookie and, uh, and quite the fighter. And so we're just, we're rolling with it. So we have Charlie right now, uh, two years, nine months old and uh, almost, almost three. And, uh, we also have another child that we're getting ready to bring home. Um, he's 13 and I thought I was a safe haven for babies. <laughs> 
And then we found out that there's this 13-year-old who is also terminal, uh, vanishing white matter. And uh, he looks like a big Charlie. Hasn't gotten out of bed and spoken since last August. And he has lived at the hospital since then. And it's like, okay, we're, you know what, that's done. He needs to come home. He does not have to live at that hospital. And he's got a wheelchair. And we're going to get him outside and let him soak up some sun. And he will have a home. And, um, again, cannot change the fact that these children are going to die. Yeah. What I have some say-so over is whether or not they live in the meantime and day-to-day. And it is not Disney World crazy amazing it is you know what you get a very timely diaper change your skin is lotioned and um, take it care of and you got people smooching on your cheeks and you've got music and you're fed and your needs are taken care of so no fireworks it's just day-to-day I will do the next thing to make sure that you are well taken care of and that you are not suffering any more than you absolutely have to. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's more than, more than they absolutely would have received without you in their lives. Um, you know, so it's, it's this recurring theme that you and your family, because what you do, your whole family does. It's not, it's you. not just me. <laughs> right. It's uh, so, I mean, the fact that 10 people, yes, 10 not people just- got together and decided we as a family, you know, this is, this is what we're going to do as a family. We're going to put children, other children ahead of, you know, our family's routines. Right. I'm sorry, you know what? And we, you know, so I have a daughter that lives at home right now who's 21 that just graduated from nursing school and she's a registered nurse, passed her boards. And, uh, you know, she helps take care of Charlie and will help. And then I have a son and a daughter-in-law who want to be able to um, be personal care workers with uh, T-Bear, who's supposed to be coming home. And my son is strong enough to be able to pick him up and help take care of him. And I'm flabbergasted sometimes. And so grateful that there's not just this sense of entitlement that, you know what, you're my mom and I'm not sharing yeah. with anyone else and you need to do this and you need to do that. But that they see the value of uh, leave them in the hospital and and then they'll do- die there because I want you to do this with me or that with me. And and I do, you know, I take I. I take my kids out and, you know, we do coffee and stuff. We don't really vacation because how do you do, how do you do that? Right. But, what we do look at is, okay, how can we make living here great instead of living here is heck and we have to go someplace else in order to be able to yep. have a good time. So we are not, I am not Elastigirl as much as I would love to be able to be Elastigirl. <laughs> I'm not, but I just, I see the value in, you know, day to day that, that needs are taken care of and that my daughters can come up and plop on my bed and, you know, and, Oh, this and that and the other thing, and that my sons can, you know, we can go outside and throw the ball around or sit and do. But it's it's mostly around the house, and I think that my kids have said, you know what, the steadiness of knowing where you are, and that I can probably find you in the kitchen, and I can come in and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and that you're going to be able to roll with me, um, is is invaluable. So, you know, if I'm going to be here 24-7, there's just space to invite these other ones 
into that and fully embrace them, not just have them come visit because uh, the shininess wears off pretty quickly. I had yeah. bought some buckets with uh, a dragon on it. And one of the nurses that was there in the care conference before I brought Charlie home just looked at me and just said, uh, the newness of those buckets is going to last about 10 minutes and then life is going to hit the fan and there's going to have to be a whole lot of, we signed up for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, for sicker, for whatever. And um, you're going to have to have some staying power with that. And I said, okay, that's, that's fine. And it's not that we can't have fun and have a, you know, decorative bucket to hold his IV bags, but the day in and day out, you know what, there's just that steadiness. We said we'll stay and we are people who stay. And I have a dumb bird over here that I do not like at all. But my kids have said, Mom, we brought him home and we said that we would stay. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> like, does this apply to a bird? <laughs> you know, because I'm not a real pet fan. But uh, they said, yes, it totally applies to the bird too. Nope, we commitment, have- commitment is key. We are people who stay. <laughs> nice. So t- you started also working with families who were going through this. Is that what I, and yes. I wasn't quite. Yes. Yeah. Bereavement specialist. So I was an OB nurse and then um, tacked onto that. I became a bereavement specialist that dealt and then developed a role um, at our hospital that I called the program HALO. Hope After Loss Organization, and uh, would come alongside those families as a hospice nurse during a time when their baby died. I wanted that loss of that life and of that dream and of those hopes validated. And I didn't care how far along they were or what, you know, because quite honestly, somebody who is... Um, eight weeks along and loses that pregnancy has a different, a little bit different grief than someone who is 38 weeks and has a stillbirth because typically at the eight week mark, you have nothing tangible to hold. And at the 38 week mark, you know, you have, it's grievous, but there can be different reasons why you're, you're grieving that, that same loss. So to say to someone who's 38 weeks that theirs is more valid than one at eight weeks, no, right. it's just slightly different. Right. A family member has been lost and you know you have the suddenness of knowing that it's that that it's taken immediately and you don't have any idea that it's coming and then you have you know babies that are sick in the womb and then they have weeks to get adjusted to I'm going to have this loss and then there's a, a there can be a sense and I, it was huge for me to to encourage them to embrace the time that they had. If they found out that the 18, 20 week mark that that baby had a fatal, fatal fetal anomaly, that they didn't have much time left. It's like, you know what, then go to that baseball game and go to that symphony and take that child wherever it is that you think that, you know, you would want them to go while that baby is still in the womb. Go and have those experiences and make the most of each day that you have while that heartbeat is still ticking instead of being so consumed with grief over that next couple of months or three months that you made no good memories at all. And, uh, you know, so I, there is so much that is sad and I have wept over 
you know, this 13 year old was up and running as of last summer and then spent four days with, you know, some really terrible seizures and has not spoken or gotten out of bed since then. And there's so much sadness over that. But if I leave it there, I just end up with this sense of despair and I can't live there. So it's like, okay, what can you change and what do you have no power to change at all? I cannot change the fact that that child's going to die. But what I can change is whether or not those physical needs are met and as much as possible, that child is not going to be failure to thrive because they don't have any nurturing, but that in spite of their broken body's condition, they can still thrive because the difference that being held and being touched and being loved makes is is actually tangible and not just intangible. And it wouldn't even matter. Um, I was told that this child was vegetative and had no meaningful communication with his world. And I always take that with a grain of salt. It's like, thank you so much. I appreciate your medical. (laughs) And now I'm going to take this child home and treat them like the human being that they are. And, you know, we'll just go from there. And uh, Emmeline, one of the things that she would do is she would get very uncomfortable and, um, you know, her face would grimace. But Mark would take her and he would put her head even though it was full of fluid and not a brain, he would put Tucker up under his chin and he would sing. And the vibration of his voice as she laid on his chest would calm that baby down. Wow. So you can tell me vegetative all day long. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Um, even if she had been comatose, because she's made in the image of God, she still would have warranted being cared so that's what we did and it was just you know ice cream sunday to be able to have a child that responded and i walked into t-bear after being told he's vegetative no meaningful communication and he was getting his nails clipped and he was going like this you know it's like well he doesn't like getting his nails clipped. <laughs> <laughs> and stroking his arm and he was going oh, 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 you know it was like he was purring and i thought dude i am here wow of you i don't care whether they consider this meaningful or not it means something to me so um you know i take that all that medical stuff and i appreciate it i am a nurse i get that i want the full medical picture but then i take the intangible difference that being loved and being nurtured makes and i slather it all over that medical diagnosis and make it palatable (laughs) Wow. So what would you, um, do you have, I mean, do you have other people who are considering just becoming foster parents out of, you know, generally come to you and say, how do I do this? Why should I do this? Yeah. And I do have a website and it is currently in process of being totally overhauled because I am a master at laundry and making supper. Uh, (laughs) Tacky stuff like that is not my gifting. So somebody is overhauling it. But I do have the website www.safehaven4babies.org. And on there it says, I want to do this. Okay, great. Here, if you want to do this, then um, hold on one second. Um, I'll have to get back to you, Todd. Anyway, um, so um, if they want to do it, then www.adoptuskids.org. 
call that foster care agency and say, you know what, I, I would like to do kiddos that are terminal or look, I'll take the ones without problems, but they don't have a family. Right. Uh, yeah, you can be anywhere along the spectrum. And the foster care system is full of broken people and it is broken. So be the change you want to be instead of whining or, you know, writing it off and saying it's a mess. Well, then be a part of it and help redeem that mess. You're not helpless to affect some change. And for everybody, honestly, I think they had this thing out there that 100,000 kids in foster care. Well, you know what? That's that's like there's 600,000 churches. If even right. a fraction of them stepped up and one family from every church took one kiddo, we could wipe out the foster care population. So sometimes you can get so overwhelmed with the enormity of it that you get paralyzed. And my philosophy is I cannot make the difference for the entire world, but I will attempt to make the difference for that next child in front of me. And our goal here is my husband's 62. He's just turned 62 and I'm 51. So, you know, we're old farts. And, <laughs> and I don't know whether you can say fart on your shoulder. <laughs> yes, but you um, it is something that we, we can't adopt overseas. I had always wanted to do that. Okay. You know, I would be pregnant and I'd be watching these infomercials on kids in orphanages in Russia and I would be crying. It's like, oh God, you know, I'd be so willing to take them here and do this. And $30,000, was never there to, no, you know, right. to do an overseas adoption. And it and it is there for some people. It just hasn't been for us. And then we've gotten too old to even be able to do it. But what we found is that we're not too old to do foster care here. Right. And that Children's Hospital in Milwaukee knows that there's no child that needs to be sitting in their hospital that is considered just too medically fragile or that terminal status that that causes most people to walk away, that they are not without options. And so in our neck of the woods, we are just doing the next thing. And I had somebody who told me, okay, so I love my job as a bereavement specialist and it was it was fantastic and I was good at it. And then when that was lost, I mean, I just, it was pathetic how I just felt like I lost myself. You know, no job should define me. No child should True. define me. The relationship, you know what? I need to be solidly grounded in the fact that I am loved by God and then everything else gravy on top of it. And then that's the best way to work. Um, so the loss of the job was really a gift. It's like, you know what? You're way too wrapped up in your identity here with this job. So hang that. So when that disappeared, I didn't disappear, but I still had to figure out where I was after that. Um, but I had a, a woman that told me, she said, you know what? I, You were just so gifted in doing what it was that you were doing with Halo. I just can't see you staying home with one baby. And I told her, I said, I want you to know that I'm willing to do that. That if that is where God has me, that that one baby... Yeah that I am going to make the difference between them dying with no life and living until they die. I'm good with it. I may have impacted hundreds of people with my job as a bereavement specialist, right. but I'm okay with the one. And I will tell you that my being okay with the one has ended up where 90 million people just because of People magazine have read about Charlie and myself. So sometimes, awesome. you know what, just doing that next thing as simple as it is and not saying, oh, I'm only going to do it if I'm going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, 
I don't need all of that stuff. If nobody <laughs> else calls and wants to talk to me and if nobody else calls and wants to interview, I can still take care of Charlie. Right. You know, I mean, I don't disappear because I don't have all that media attention. If it's there, fantastic. But I, my life isn't defined by it. And I think I had to get to a point where I didn't need it at all, that it was just extra. Fair. And, and that I'm not lost if y'all go away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we won't go away. I would, uh, I'm, I've followed your page and I'll keep following. Um, I would love to continue blasting stuff out there for you. You know, if you need things, I saw you just had a van donated, correct? Was that right? Yes. And we're trying to figure out what exactly we're going to do with that. Cause it's a okay. mini van. <laughs> and we have two kids in reclining wheelchairs. So okay. it may be that we're going to get this minivan and then we're going to have to turn around and sell it and then get one that works. Well, you for. know, even that's a path to yeah. getting something that you need. Um, right. do, do you have a, a book in the works? I do. Okay. Yes, I'm actually supposed to be writing a book. All right. I'll leave you alone. <laughs> I know how that goes too. I'm laughing, but I saw the brochure that they made up, you know, for this book. And I was like, I would read that. That is so awesome. And oh. I was like, yeah, you probably ought to write it. Oh. So you <laughs> okay. All right. I don't want to be the one who's to blame for you not doing that. But I will say, as you get closer, when you have launch dates and all that stuff, we will absolutely blast that out too because our hope is that even by by every story we share we can help somebody out there realize that there's something in their own lives that they can do as well and so the more that the story hits the more it'll hit somebody else to do so we're going to continue sharing these stories and resharing you know we'll go back to stories that we've done and we'll post updates and new stuff and keep drawing in and help you draw that community. So you're right. impacting lives, like you said, through People Magazine. We're not quite up to People Magazine status, but we're getting there. Um, yeah. But you know what? That's all those individuals yeah. that have read it and maybe have thought, you know what, that thing that I didn't think I could do, right. maybe I can. It yes. doesn't have to be easy. It just yeah needs to be possible. And I have told my kids, I have a daughter who's over in Thailand working in an orphanage over there, kids that have been rescued from the sex trafficking industry and trying to get her there. And the visa, you know, form that we had to fill in eight times because you can't, I have to do it by hand and you cannot have any marks scratched out. We had to start over and over. I told her, I said, it's not impossible. It's just hard. But you know, so we just, we need to keep doing this until it's impossible. I'm not trying to beat down doors that should not be open, but difficult does not mean not doable. Right. Yeah. I just, you know, I want that with my kids that they don't just lay down and quit because it's hard. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, we tried to get on today. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, and if I was one of those people, there's like, oh, it didn't just snap and happen. Um, I would be lost because I cannot do what I do right. and be wiped out at the first sign of, of difficulty. You just, you, you gotta be so much more solidly based than that, or you won't last. And we want to be people that say yes, and we stay. That's, that's great. I want to touch quickly. Um, you said you have a daughter in Thailand working with children. And I think I saw you have another daughter. Did you working with children as well? I mean, is this something, are, are your children in general following your path in some so, venue? Yeah. 
you know what? They're they're just kind of working it out. And like my son is a is a youth pastor, and you know, just kind of he he works with our juvenile foster system here, and is like a big brother mm-hmm. to uh, kids. He's twenty four, and um, you know, and then Johanna is a missionary over there in Thailand, and has a home that has twenty kids that are safe. Wow. It, safe haven there in Thailand. And, um, and then, you know, like I said, charity just graduated from nursing school and is just plowing right back into the kiddos that we have here and wants to work at, um, she, she works with a youth or campus life actually here in (laughs) Oregon. Um, will be there like their camp nurse and their on campus nurse for the summer and then wants to work with children's after, after that. So they don't have to do exactly what we're doing, but, it is something that's like, okay, you know what? It's a natural extension Yes. to go out and then they affect their world from there. So this is not a negative thing. I will not say it's always easy. We had triplets last year, <laughs> which was insane. And they, they were medically needed when they came and that was fixed right away. And then, and then they're fine. Um, so they were not terminal, but we had them from the time that they were seven months old until they were 18 months old. Wow. So talk about wild uh yeah so they went you know started crawling yeah. and then and then walking and then running and it's like look i'm old grandkids <laughs> <laughs> and you give them pop and you send them home you know what is up with this and they were here 24 7 and it was exhausting but it was so good but like my 15 year old i told her one night i need a mental health break you are gonna watch these kids and she looked at me and she says yeah well you know it's just not that much fun anymore <laughs> 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 I said, welcome to life, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, and I told her, I said, I appreciate the fact that it's just not that much fun anymore, but guess what? They're still here. Yeah. <laughs> they still need to be taken care of. So you get to do this. I, I don't even, you don't even have to be happy about it. I'm right. not going to push that point, but you get to do this. And she's like, what? And I said, no, you know what? We are people. Uh, who stay who who just do this and and it's not always fun and you better get used to that (laughs) so yeah you know life lessons for the kids that we don't just do this because it's fun and it's it's exciting because that that shiny wears off really fast and it may come back in and not but you don't just say yes because you want it to stay exciting and shiny you say yes and then you take the good the bad and the ugly so it's it's been good life lessons for my kids and not easy and they do whine and they do roll their eyes. It's like I'm just a slave and it's like, yes, you are. <laughs> awesome. Um well go write your book. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so probably I guess I'm ready for this gang here. Thank you. Thanks again for listening in and joining us on today's episode. Don't forget to see our featured article and video on Corey Salker at americansnippets.com forward slash 009. Help us support Corey and her husband, Mark, by sharing their story all across social media. Like, comment, and tell us what you think. For more information on Corey Salker, and if you're interested in learning more about how you can help care for these children and babies, you can visit safehavenforbabies.org. That's safehaven, the number four, babies.org. So that wraps up today's episode. Again, thank you so much for being here today. If you know of a story or a person you think we should feature right here in American Snippets, please drop us a message on our Facebook page. Head on over to facebook.com forward slash American Snippets 
and uh, you know, tell us uh, what you got. Tell us a story you have or the p- person you think uh, we should feature right here on the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in today. We'll see you next week. Keep tuning in. We have a lot of great things coming down the pipeline for you, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye. 